As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Holy wisdom, open our hearts and minds that as the scriptures are read and proclaimed, we may hear with trust and joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before and behind, excuse me, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, in your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. The word of God for the people of God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and holy God, surround us with the grace and love and miracle of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Barbie goes to church. Have I run out of material? <laughs> well, here we are at the end of summer, and this week I felt like doing something fun, so today we're going to talk about Barbie. And some of you are wondering, why? <clears throat> well, of course this is church, so we're really going to be talking about God. And Barbie is not to be confused with God, even if some of you may have worshipful feelings about Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling. But why talk about Barbie in church? 
Well, when a preacher spots a movie or a book or some other story that really seems to have captured the public imagination, we want to know why. Because most really significant stories draw upon some common theme that humans have been struggling with at least as long as we've had the Bible. And along with Oppenheimer, which I have not had three plus hours to go and see yet, Barbie is the blockbuster movie of the summer. And so the other night I put on my preacher hat once the kids were off to bed and went out to see the late showing, and I'm going to share with you this morning some of what I came up with. Please note that I will try to avoid any significant spoilers in this sermon. The story of the Barbie movie draws upon a number of themes that are found in the Bible and that one might preach a sermon about. There is femininity and masculinity. There is relationships between lovers and friends and parents and children. There is commercialism and materialism and the meaning of beauty and plenty of other ideas. And in my amateur movie critic analysis, director Greta Gerwig does a remarkable job of addressing many of these topics thoughtfully and creatively inside of a movie that lasts less than two hours. But at the intersection of just about all of those other themes, those other ideas, the one that I really wanted to talk about is authenticity. Authenticity. Who am I? Who was I created to be? How do I find that essential person? Why do I run from that essential person and put on disguises and make believe that I am someone other than who I am? And if I'm a person of faith and I believe that I was created not by Mattel but by God, what does God have to say in answer to questions like these? Authenticity. That's what I thought about most in response to this movie that is so completely about things that are artificial. Let me take a minute, and again, I will try to avoid big spoilers here, but let me take a minute to talk about the movie itself, and then I'll move to why it caused me to think about these questions of authenticity. The basic premise in the Barbie movie is that there is the real world, and then there is Barbie land. Barbie land, as you would expect, is where Barbie lives in the Barbie dream house, and Ken lives in Barbie land too, and they go to the beach and they drive around in Barbie's Corvette, and every day is perfect. And in Barbie land, Barbie is not just some pretty girl, because that's not why Barbie was created. Ruth Handler, who created Barbie for Mattel, made the doll in response to her frustration about dolls. All the other dolls were baby dolls, suggesting that every girl would grow up to be a mommy. And as wonderful as it is to be a mommy, there was nothing else. And so Ruth Handler created Barbie and all of her outfits to give girls the chance to imagine that they could be doctors or Supreme Court justices or president. These were not just the realms of men. 
And of course, as I'm sure I don't have to tell you, the rub comes mostly around the other messages Barbie gave young girls, like a body image that was impossible to achieve. And it is this complicated collection of messages from Barbie that causes a lot of folks to have a sort of love-hate relationship with Barbie. And again, my amateur critique, walking that love-hate line is exactly the thing this movie does quite well. And stepping back, the significance of Barbie Land is that Barbie Land gets uh, played in tension with the real world, which you all know all about. And the movie exposes the ways in which both the real world and Barbie Land are far from perfect. And once you realize that, where do you really want to live? So what the heck does any of this have to do with the Bible? That was the question I asked as a preacher as I sat and watched this movie. And here's what I came up with. On the surface, one of the first and most obvious things about Barbie and Ken is that they have a lot of outfits. <laughs> they have a lot of outfits and settings and modes of transportation. And when a child plays with dolls, they imagine something else that they might be. That's what the dresses are about and the different professions and activities that they stand for and the cars and boats and homes that Barbie has. And so first, it occurred to me as a preacher that the Bible has a lot of stories of its own about people who dress up and become someone else. What's going on there? Some of these stories are positive in nature in the Bible, and others of them are negative. A few examples. Just last week, we talked about the story of Joseph, whose coat of many colors is first a cause of division between Joseph and his brothers, and later, the brothers disguise the coat with goat's blood so that they can fabricate a lie that he was killed by wild animals. It is a story of conflict in a family built around an outfit. The little boy David, who slays the giant Goliath, is first put into a suit of armor to head out to the field of battle. But the armor and the sword are too heavy, and the only way that David can save his people is to be authentic to who he is. So he takes off the armor and puts down the sword and he heads out to slay Goliath with the sling he uses to guard his sheep. In another story we've talked about this summer, Jacob, who is jealous of his firstborn brother Esau, sets out to steal his brother's blessing. Esau is much more hairy than Jacob. And so Jacob covers his arms in animal skins when he goes in to greet his father, who is old and whose sight is failing. And the trick works. Jacob gets the blessing. But this act of deceit will not pay off in the long run. By being inauthentic, Jacob alienates himself from his father and his brother and is forced from the family's home.
In other stories in the Bible, a little disguise and even deceit is not such a bad thing. Esther, who is Jewish, hides her identity in order to make her way into the palace of King Xerxes and win the heart of the king. By doing so, she subverts the plans of the king's evil henchman, Haman, who wishes to destroy the, the Jewish people. So Esther, by an act of disguising her identity, saves her people. It is true about us, is it not, that playing around with who we are is sort of a part of being human, and it isn't always wrong. We are all slightly different versions of ourselves, depending on whether we are with our parents or our friends or at work or with our spouse or around our children. We try on different personas, don't we, as we grow and mature. We're not always sure how it will turn out because we have to do some experimenting in life to figure out who we are really called to be. Some of this is good, and some of it is bad, and some of it is really not either one or the other. But it occurs to me that the only way we can navigate all of this playing dress-up in life is that we have to be able to come back to some grounding force, some reliable place, some familiar friend who can work with us on who we really are and in whose presence we can be ourselves. We need someone who understands all of our insecurity and all of our imperfection and who loves us still. And so I returned to those questions of authenticity I shared with you before. Who am I? Who was I created to be? How do I find that essential person and why do I run from that essential person and who is God for us when we struggle with these questions? And I remembered Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness is not dark to you. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end. I'm still with you. The one who gives us the grounding we need in order to imagine who we are and who we are becoming. The one who gives us the grounding to experiment and explore and when things don't go well to find our way home so we can start over. The one who reminds us that we are still loved. The only one who can give us that grounding is God. Barbie is far from a religious movie, but it puts before us a set of deeply spiritual questions. And I guess in defense of the life of faith, it occurs to me that this, the wonderful thing about being a person of faith is that we have one we can go to in prayer throughout all of life's questions and experiments when we are trying to figure out who we are and who we are created to be. And the more deeply we invest ourselves in our relationship with God, the richer that relationship becomes. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, and I come to the end. I am still with you. And that's what happens, at least according to this preacher, when Barbie goes to church. Amen. <laughs>